Blog Talk Radio. Challenging, thought-provoking, insightful. This is God in Country, the collision of faith and politics. Hosted by nationally known speaker, Reverend Dr. Sean Michael Greener. Not your typical Rev. Dr. Sean is a proud military veteran, former law enforcement officer, and founder of the internationally regarded executive protection team. Through counseling, elite life coaching, and national speaking, this ninja pastor tells it like it is. This series is biblically and politically engaged with the pedal to the metal. With today's edition of God in Country, here is host and author of the acclaimed yet controversial book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America, Dr. Sean Michael Greener. Welcome, America. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm honored to have my announcer. He is he is the best. Uh, you can't listen to 24 hours of radio or television without hearing his voice at least 11 times. So it's an honor to have him there. So we're live. We're rocking and rolling. We're ready to rock and roll here. Uh, it's going to be a little bit of a crazy day. Um, I am appreciative of your attention, and certainly um, today is just a crazy day. It's, it's going to be going to be a little nuts folks going to be a little nuts now the fact of the matter is everybody's got stuff in their life i mean i i i have stuff in my life i have challenges you have challenges we all have challenges every bit of us but i'm reminded of josiah g holland who was 1819 to 1881 he was an american novelist and poet back when we had american novelists and poets that we didn't call rappers god give us men A time like this demands strong minds, great hearts, true faith, and ready hands. Men whom the lust of office does not kill, men whom the spoils of office cannot buy, men who possess opinions and a will, men who love honor, men who will not lie. Now, folks, I've got to tell you, that's some powerful stuff right there. We need men, white men, black men, purple men, Well, we don't need purple men. I retract. I retract that statement right here, right now. And, folks, I'm I'm here to tell you that uh, we need men. We need men to start being men. We need to stop with the whining. We need to... We need to step up, folks. I mean, it's, it's just no other way to put it. We need to step up, folks. It, it, it needs to be the norm. It needs to be the norm. Men. People that aren't afraid to be men. You say, what in the world does that have to do with the show today? Because we need all kinds of men. You know, over 620,000 white people died to free black slaves. Did you know that? 620,000. There's a lot of people. A whole lot of people gave their lives. Mostly white men. 
to free black slaves. So let's cut the lies. Let's cut the stupidity, the racist and reparation done. Let's just cut it out. A lot of people put everything on the line. And you know what a lot of a lot of white people have put everything on the line since. It's just the bottom line, folks. I'd love to say, you know, uh, and, and this is, and thank you for all of you who are joining us here. Uh, lots and lots of people are joining in. By the way, chat is open. We got so, so much, uh, so many exciting things, so many great announcements to share with you today. Uh, it's, it's very, very exciting, I'm to be honest. We're going to have a guest on today. I'll tell you about him in a second. It's just awesome. But folks, at some point or another, the men have to step up. Men of all colors. Men of, men of all faiths. And maybe men of no faith. I don't think you can be quite what you need to be without being a person of faith, not what you were intended to be, without being a person of faith. I think ultimately that's what drives us. That's what drives us. But I know a lot of people who, uh, they're in the struggle right now. I've got a guy named Chris, uh, a friend of mine, a new friend of mine, he's in the struggle. He's hardcore in the struggle. He's uh, he's in the midst of a struggle. I mean, everything seems to be going wrong in his life. That's my dog, Buckeye. She bad. Everything seems to be going wrong in his life. And I know there's a lot of people out there that feel that way. And then you look at what's going on with the with the uh the political situation in this country and you say to yourself holy moly man we're in trouble we're really in trouble what in the world are we going to do what are we going to do i got so many problems i got so many things got bills piled up i i'm i'm i've had to do twice as much work i've had to take a pay cut you know all these things all of these things are real things that all across America people are having to deal with. And on, excuse me, on top of that, they're having to deal with what amounts to be the government against them. Folks, I don't know about you, but I'm so beyond tired of government uh, influence. I'm so tired of government ineptitude their apathy, their utter incompetence, their utter utter evil. I'm tired of it. And I know you probably are too. Look, I have a good life. I'm I'm very, very blessed. Better than I deserve, for sure. And it's wearing me down. But I'm telling you, I'm, I'm not afraid of it. 
I don't know what it is. Maybe it's my brain injury. I, I was like this before the brain injury happened, but um, I just, I, I, look, I'm not quitting on this. We can't quit on our country. People, man, they work too hard. They work too hard to give up. Welcome to everybody in chat. We so appreciate it. Thank you to all the visitors and people sending me messages now. It's awful nice of you. You're very encouraging. Man, at some point or another, folks, we got to call this what it is. All over the country. Now, I'm, I'm, you know, I talked about how blessed I was. I have friends from all over the country, and and I, and I'm just going to say to you, I'm so fortunate. I really, really am. I'm so fortunate because it, it gives me a, an automatic cross section of, of a quick. I can take the temperature really quickly. All across the country, people who live in vastly different circumstances in their life. I'm so blessed. I, I have such great friends. But, you know, from all across the country, everywhere everywhere I look, people are saying, man, the struggle is real. Now, let me further clarify. I have white friends, Caucasian friends. I have, I have, thank you. Uh, chat, uh, you're right. I am blessed. Thank you for that. God bless our folks from uh, from upstate New York and all over the country for joining us. Man, chat is awesome. It's a lot of fun. My friends, I want to put it to you this way. Uh, you know, it, no matter where you are, where you live, what color you are, you need to understand that uh, your struggle is, is not, uh, you're not alone. By the way, uh, I'm going to make some quick announcements in, in a couple of minutes, so be be prepared for that. It's going to be pretty exciting. We had anyway. I'll I'll get to that in a second. But here's what we have: we have more law enforcement murdered, ambushed, executed. The president of the United States of America, Barack Hussein Obama, who, by the way, Antonio, Antonio Sabato Jr. Actor, he was on uh, Dance with the Stars. He's a conservative Christian, really neat guy, really super neat guy. He said at the Republican National Convention where he was a speaker, he said, we had a Muslim president for seven and a half years, he told ABC News. He added, I don't believe the guy's a Christian. You know, ultimately, it doesn't matter. Is he really a Muslim? Is he not? Hmm. Dr. Hurd of Newsmax says, for all practical purposes, Obama's a Muslim president. Who cares if he's really a Muslim or he's not? Either way, his policies, as well as those of his anointed successor, Hillary Rotten Clinton, will lead us to ever greater losses and ultimate ruin. Americans remain asleep and mindlessly prepare to vote for Hillary Clinton, while jihadists openly plot and regularly act upon the destruction of civilization as we know it. Man, that's the real deal. I have to hand it to um, Antonio Sabato Jr. because, you know, that doesn't stand you in good stead in, in the, the ultra-liberal Hollywood. That's where the man works. God bless him. God bless him for standing up and saying that. I love that. That quote came from com. H-U-R-D. 
President of the United States, Barack Hussein Obama, he says, good luck, America. We have no idea how to fix the problem of white Christian racist people, so go, go fix it yourselves and good luck. Then oddly enough, the governor of Louisiana, he's begging for the hate to stop. And I quote, the hate to stop. We've got to stop the hate. You've got to be kidding me. This is not an effective means of combating evil, certainly not for leaders. Begging for hate to stop? That's not a real strategy. It's fluffy and it's soft and it lacks the, you know, at the open of the show, God give us men a time like this to man strong minds. Great hearts, true faith, and ready hands. Men whom lust, men whom the lust of office does not kill. Men whom the spoils of office cannot buy. Men whom possess opinions and a will. Men who love honor. Men who will not lie. Jo- Josiah G. Holland wrote that. I'll submit to you, Barack Hussein Obama. He's no such man. I'll further submit to you. Yeah, you like it or leave. I mean, it is, is what it is. But the governor of Louisiana, God bless him, man. It's serious tragedy going on there. My heart goes out to him. My heart goes out to all these officers and different levels of law enforcement. They're in the crosshairs. But, but this guy needs to step up and be a man and stop saying things like the hate has to stop. I know that's politically expedient, but it's got to stop. It's not a strategy. Begging for the hate to stop, not a strategy. It's fluffy. When you've got such a a horrific crime, it's fluffy. It's not an actionable strategy. It is not an actionable strategy. It's nothing. Whenever the left and the people who are our enemies, I'm sorry to be redundant, whenever they hear someone begging a murdering racist to stop being a murdering racist. It's like begging oxygen to stop being air. Look, an attack on one of us is an attack on all of us, and it has to stop. That's what Governor Edwards of Louisiana, Governor Edwards of Louisiana said. He said, the people who carried out this do not represent the city of Baton Rouge or the state of Louisiana or this country. Trust me, they don't care. Goes on to say there's simply no place for more violence. It doesn't help anyone. It doesn't help any injustice, perceived or real. It's just another injustice. We're not going to tolerate more hate and violence tearing apart the lives and families of the people of Louisiana. Tolerate? You've tolerated up until now? You have got to be kidding me. It's idle words. It's just talk. It's political expediency at the sacrifice of not only law enforcement, but the citizens of the United States of America. Perhaps the governor doesn't understand unrestrained violence as he should by now. Look, maybe the leader of this country, of of the state of Louisiana, doesn't understand unrestrained violence. He needs to step down from office. You say, man, that's mean. Dr. Sean, how can you call for that? The guy's facing such a terrible thing. You know what? When you take the reins as the leader of a state or a country or a town, you've got to be the leader. You've got to be the man who can't, you've got a strong mind, a great heart, true faith, and ready hands. You can't be spoiled 
by the spoils of office. You can't be bought. You can't. You have to have a, a an opinion and a will. You can't beg for no violence. You can't. Look, you think these people are going to listen to you? They see you as weak. It's the same thing with Islam. I'm going to make a. I'm going to make a connection today on the show. Uh, that just might stun you. It just might stun you. The connection between the Black Lives Matter movement and Islam. Not radical Islam, Islam. It just might stun you. I am sorry to tell you. Those that hate us hear things like that and they realize we are done. They hear things like that and they say, Wow, these people are softer than I thought. These people are weaker than I thought. People are easier to knock off than I thought. This is going to take fewer rounds, fewer explosives than I thought. That's the real deal, folks. That's the truth. I'm sorry to tell you, but they look at it and they laugh at us all the while our police officers are dying. All the while our police officers are dying. And you know what? I'll tell you the truth. It's happening so fast. It's just like Saul Alinsky, the one that Michelle Obama quoted, her hero, the one that uh, gave praise and dedication the Rules for Radicals, his book, to Lucifer. (laughs) Man, you've got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me, and somehow or another, I I don't know how, I don't know how this is the case, but somehow or another, guy's taking a lot of crap. You know who I'm talking about. He has my book. He was presidential candidate. He's a doctor. He's a uh, one of the most famous neurologists, neurosurgeon, pediatric neurosurgeons in the world. He saved tens of thousands of lives. But Dr. Benjamin Carson, black man, is taking the heat. <laughs> because he had the audacity. To read a man's quote, his own words. Maybe the governor doesn't understand it. You know, I, I don't think that that uh, I don't think that most people in in elected office really understand unrestrained violence. You can't talk to it. These are the same people a lot of times that are calling for air quotes gun control. The governor just doesn't understand. As his as his first line of defense lays dead, ambushed. I think the Dallas mayor gets it, but he he's trying to be more politically correct. He lost five of his first line of defense in an ambush, in an execution.
I don't think he gets it. I don't think he gets it. More law enforcement are murdered, ambushed, and this is the best response plan, our leaders, air quotes plan, they can come up with. Man, there's simply no place for more violence. It just doesn't help anymore. It doesn't help any injustice, perceived or real. It's just another injustice. We're not going to tolerate more, more violence, tearing apart the lives and families of the people of Louisiana. You've got to be kidding me. This guy's in charge of the state of Louisiana. And the president says, go fix it yourself. The French nation, uh, man, in the region of Nice, they, this is terrible. They experienced yet another massive terrorist attack. Yet another jihadi murdered 84 souls and others clinging to life, even today. You know, I don't know how to help you if you don't see that and don't say, wow. And what did Hussein Obama spend a half an hour in a speech bemoaning? President Hussein Obama, he blamed the bad intent in the heart of so many Bible-thumping, gun-obsessed, racist Americans. Let me give you a quote here from one of our, our guests today, Dr. Stephen Turley. He's going to be on in a little bit. And it is absurd, absurd. Heather McDonald has documented that police shootings account for a larger percentage of white and Hispanic homicide deaths, about 12%, than black deaths, 4%. Ironically, police officers are at a higher risk of being shot by a black assailant than the other way around, according to FBI. That is Federal Bureau of Investigation. 40% of all cop killers are black. Two and a half times the rate blacks are shot by the police. So why are these statistics ignored in the media in favor of Gutfeld's words and absurd racist narrative? We're going to answer that today. I'm going to make a connection today that will blow your mind. Today really is all about making connections, connections that too many people in power, they don't want you to make. They don't want you to make these connections. The recent retaliations by Black Lives Matter members, I, you know, they say they don't, have, they don't have a roll call. They don't have a group. They don't have a membership. They seem to have a, a, a chant. Involves killing white people, killing white cops. What do we want? Dead cops. What do we want them now? Pigs in a blanket. The recent retaliations by Black Lives Matter members for the deaths of black people Retaliations. Did you catch that word? Retaliation. Did, did anybody catch that? The word I used, retaliation? They're saying these are retaliations by Black Lives members for the deaths of black people. Look, these police officers were doing their jobs. And during the, the, that work that they were doing, that they were called to do, that we've asked them to do, that we've paid them and trained them to do, the black people who were shot and killed by police officers, 
They all had criminal records. They all died, but they all had criminal records when they died. They all were doing something they weren't supposed to be doing when they died. Look, we fly our flags at half mass. We talk about the race problem in our country. And we actually call these wanton murders by homegrown terrorist organizations called Black Lives Matter retaliations. And this is something legitimately being retaliated against. As if the police officers are just regular people. We've asked them to do this job. They can just wander them to go, hey, I got to go, why not? I can't wait to shoot me some people, preferably black people. No. Just regular people with families, children, moms, dads, wives, husbands, just doing their job, a very dangerous job of protecting us, idiots, protecting our property, keeping the peace. Look, they don't protect our property anymore. Why? Because we whined about it. You know, in Baltimore, they firebombed places during all these riots. They weren't protests. They were riots. The Freddie Gray riots. Now, every single police officer has not only been acquitted, some of the charges have been thrown out. The judges advised her, don't bring any more of these cases. You got nothing, don't bring it. And I'm happy to say that the, uh, the, the, the finally there are some leaders in the police department that are saying, hey, don't bring this. And now there's some, some of the officers have filed a, a lawsuit. I say, this what I, now this is just me. You know, what am I? I'm nobody. I'm nobody. I'm just a regular dude. I said, hey, if you can, get your resume up to date. <laughs> if you're a police officer in the city of Baltimore, your resume ought to be up to date, ready to rock and roll. Put it on some good 85-pound paper and send that sucker out. Get you a job somewhere they're going to appreciate you, which is not many places nowadays. But Baltimore, no, they let you get rocked and bottled. While, while we're begging for try to keep the peace, we're trying to stop the hate. This is as if the police officer started this. They're just willy-nilly wandering around. Hey, there's a black one. Let's stop them and beat them up and throw them in the van. The guy couldn't be handcuffed because he wouldn't calm down. We keep begging for hate to stop like that's a real strategy. That's not the real problem either. You know, you ever, anybody, look, husbands and wives, boyfriends and girlfriends, you Look, men, we know not to tell our spouses. We know not to tell our, our, our loved wives, baby, now you just need to calm down. When she's, when she's fired up, she's coming at us hardcore, both bowels. She's not calm at all. We know she's not calm, but we, the last thing should have come out of our men's mouth, no, is, baby, you need to calm down. You better calm down. That did never calm any love wife down, though it did not. Just like stop hating isn't going to stop any hate. That's childish. That's not a leader. That's not a leader of our country. That's not a leader of states. It's not a leader of police departments. I'm working on uh, getting the sheriff in, in Wisconsin, David Clark, Sheriff David Clark. I'm working on getting him on the show. Man, the guy is inundated. He cuts it straight, as my professor, uh, Ron Frazier, Dr. Ron Frazier, always said, cut it straight. By the way, in my town, for those of you, you know where I live, in my town, my buddy Darren has just let me know there's something major going down in this town. So those of you who live in or near my town, pay attention. There's about 13 police vehicles racing um, 
down Route 1 south toward Middletown. We don't know what's going on. We'll, we'll get more to you as we can. we got people out there. You better be your own first responder, by the way. You'd better be your own first responder. Don't be, don't be waiting on the police to come. I love the police. I was a police. And I still have many, many friends who are police officers and retired. Can't, you can't, look, you've can't. You got to be your own first responder. Don't wait for them to come help you. Prepare yourself. Equip yourself. Train yourself. But I'll tell you what's not a plan. Hate, we've got to stop the hate. Hate's got to stop. It's got to stop. It's just got, got to stop. It's not a real strategy. It's not a real problem. The hate is not the problem. Their hate. Black Lives Matter, their hate. That's the problem. Their violence, that's the problem. Guns aren't the problem. White people aren't the problem. (coughs) You understand this, right? How many understand this? In fact, I'll tell you what else, too. The hate being perpetrated by the Black Lives Matter, it's increasing day by day. Every day. We grow less safe every day. And you know what happens every day, too? Our police departments, they grow weaker. They grow less effective. And they grow more distracted every, every day. Every day. Who benefits from this? Not the police. Not us. A weaker, less safe police department that's, that's less effective, more distracted? Who benefits from it? It's not us. And it's not the police. Well, let's talk about who it does benefit. Black Lives Matter. You know what? They grow more confident in their ability to, without any consequence, except in, in an increase in respect. and legit, That's the consequence they get. They get more... Uh, more respected and feared. What do they get to do? They get to kill white people. They get to kill police officers and gain a place at the table of the President of the United States. Not once, not twice, but three times as a credible voice for black America. You've got to be kidding me. Who else benefits from this? A, a weaker, less effective, distracted police department. Who else benefits from that? Muslims. Islamic terrorists. What? Muslims and Islamic terrorists. You can you can say that's hyperbole. You can say that's too that's too rough, Doctor Sean Ninja Pastor. You you've you've that's a bridge too far. Bridge too far. Man, I've got to tell you, and I hope that you understand that what I'm about to tell you is absolute fact. Look, I don't care if the President of the United States is a Muslim or not. Not at this stage. I don't. He's got to be impeached. He's got to be investigated. He's got to be prosecuted. And then he's got to be punished. And everyone in his command, every single person who had anything to do with him becoming president and him remaining president and the things that he did while he was president need to be prosecuted. That's a fact, folks. Look, the reason he was allowed to do this, the reason why he's been so effective is because we're not allowed to discuss the race or religion of anybody as a factor anymore. If they do a violent act, we can't call out Muslims if they're Muslim. We can't call, but if they're a white Christian, that's the first thing they say. Oh, it's a tea party, white Christian tea partier. Oh, wait, it turns out they're black and they're Muslim. We can't say that. And you know what? When we, 
when we take that out of public discussion, we can't say they're black, we can't say they're Muslim. And then on top of that, we've got a weakened police department. Our only defense against homeland Muslim terror. That's it. Our police department, that's it. They're the last line of defense, except for you. If you're armed, if you're ready and you're prepared. How many of you went to my uh, Facebook and saw uh, facebook.com backslash SM Greener? Go and hit click like. I just deleted about 380 people, so I'm on the uh, 5,000 or below or something like that. And there's about 600 people waiting to be friended. But you you go on there if there's any openings, and I know you personally, or you're a friend of the show. You go to the front of the uh, of the line. I know that sounds not fair, but it's true. I love I love having people connected that support what we do. By the way, there's some Facebook live videos. If you go to theninjapastor.com or drshawngreener.com, D-R-S-H-A-W-N-G-R-E-E-N-E-R.com, you go to the blog section, Ninja Pastor blog, you'll see videos, Facebook, all of our Facebook live. You drive down back in the 2015, you'll see all of our YouTube videos from our YouTube channel, The Ninja Pastor, and there'll be more there. All of it's free. doesn't cost you a dime. While you're there, fill out your information. It's just your name and your email address. Good lands. You're not giving me a kidney. It helps me to it helps me to have a, a point of contact. Look, we're not allowed to say what race or what religion anybody is. They do a violent act. If they're black or if they're Muslim, we can't say it. And a police department, they're weak. No offense, police. It's not your fault. Police commanders, maybe so. But most police commanders are put there because of their political affiliation. And they stay there because of their political affiliation. They're our only defense except for you and I. I'm prepared. I don't know about you. I'm equipped. Welcome Southern Sense Radio. We're so honored to have you. What a great show. You need to click on and, and this great lady has a phenomenal show. What a great job she does. She's a pro. I'm just a rookie, a rank amateur. Look, we make, it, we make it easier for Muslims and Black Lives Matter and, and all these other people to succeed in what they're doing. Their, their objective is to destroy us. Don't, don't. Look, Muslims and Islamic terrorists and Black Lives Matter folks, they're in cahoots. You say that cannot be. How many? What's the crossover? You got it. Let's do some math. I'm not, look, I have a brain injury. I can't do a whole lot of math, so you can do the math. Do the math. Do the math. You know as well as I know. Absolutely, that it's real. You can look at it. You can see it. How many of them? They suppress the Muslim names, and then we find out he's a Nation of Islam follower. You say, well, that doesn't necessarily connect. Yes, it does. You say, well, they're they're crazy in their head. Anybody that would follow Islam, if they if they don't look, if you follow a religion, you don't actually understand the religion, then you have some problems that you got to really seriously deal with. You have some problems. And if you follow a faith that tells you to cut the heads off of... Look, I posted a video on Facebook. I started to tell you. A little boy, five years old I think he is. They slowly and methodically and excruciatingly cut this little boy's head from his body while he was alive. And they were smiling and laughing while they did it. That's our enemy. You're whining and all butthurt about, um, you know, uh, somebody used words from... Michelle Obama's speech newsflash. President Barack Hussein Obama used all of Deval Patrick's speech, every bit of it. Who was the speech written by? 
Deval Patrick. He actually copied and pasted his own speech. You've got to be kidding me. Joe Biden. Let's not get hung up on this. Let's not get hung up on this. Uh, the speechwriter or the assistant or whoever it was, longtime employee, said, you know, I'm sorry. I, I'm, here's my – I didn't – we had a phone conversation, and, and, uh, and, and I – she – you know, she appreciates Michelle Obama. Now, listen, folks, you never trump people. You got to stop hanging on this business about, look, I, I get it. If you don't ever want to vote for Trump, I get that. I get that. He's not my first choice either. But you know who's my last choice? Absolutely. On no uncertain terms, my last choice is Hillary Rodham Clinton. And I'm going to tell you something. If we don't, if we don't get our guy in, warts and all, she's absolutely going to be president, and we're done as a nation. Look, we reduce the number of police officers directly by killing them, by allowing them to be killed, by rules of engagement that are ridiculous, much like our military. We hamstring them. And also indirectly, because we reduce the – look, nobody in their right mind is ever going to go. No right-thinking human being is ever going to want to go into police work. No police officer wants to risk himself or herself in this line of work to protect and pursue. Trust me, they don't want to do it. I said it last week and the week before. I have lots of friends who are actual black police officers, and they tell me, Doc, the last place in the world I ever want to go is into a black neighborhood to handle yet another black complaint. They're tired of it. They say, I can't take it. And when, when they don't do what they're told, they do stupid stuff, and we have to put our hands on them, we never hear the end of it. And we risk losing everything, every single thing we've ever had. We risk it all. The last place I want to go. I want to ask you something. There have been many, many police officers killed. If you go to my Facebook, you'll see I did a photograph. I happen to be uh, at the, the uh, state of Delaware, the first state in the Union, state of Delaware, in Dover, Delaware there. I happen to be there and happen to see the police officer memorial. Some of those names on there I know real well. Or shall I say I knew real well. I'm going to ask you something. Why aren't there any pro-police pro demonstrations? Why aren't there? Why aren't white and black people who are against Black Lives Matter who are against the killing and injuring of police officers, who are against rioting, why aren't we out there protesting? Why isn't anybody protesting the killing of our police officers? Why is that? Why, why is nobody protesting that? Why are there no signs out there, save our police? Why aren't, you know, look, it's blocking of highways. I've got to tell you something. I've got to tell you something. This has got to stop, and the only way it stops is when lots and lots of those folks get run over. I'm sorry to tell you, because they will hit your car with rocks and bottles. They will try to kill you. They will try to drag you out. They're becoming more violent by the day. They're stopping traffic, people in need of medical care. You say, well, they're angry. They're, they're, they're just retaliating. Retaliating against what? Why? Why aren't there any protests of the killing of our police? Why aren't we blocking them? Why don't we greet them with force? You say, man, you don't sound like much of a pastor to me. Brother, yeah, I don't, lots of people have probably tried to tell you that Yeshua, or Jesus Christ as you know him, uh, was a pacifist. I'm here to tell you he was absolutely not a pacifist. 
Look, and if it, and it, we know that it's black people for the most part killing the police, where do you go to do your protest, white people? Do you go to the black community? No. You stay out of there. That's what you do. You stay home or you go to work. You do your thing. You raise your kids. You say, man, that's a shame. That's terrible. You put a little badge with a black line through it. Or you put a blue, black, a blue Lives Matter banner on your Facebook. You tweet out pro-police statements for a day or so. Look, my guest today, Dr. Stephen Turley, he's going to talk about what he calls the emancipatory myth politics. This is what our country has embraced. The main point of which is that the logic of our society states that racism only applies to those with the power to dominate. When the power shifts, then we'll be able to cry racism when whites are killed and ridiculed. They're at 13% right now. What happens when that per- – well, I'll give you an example. Let's just count it up. Fair enough. Fair enough. I, you may say, okay, well, that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Look, the problem as I see it is that at that point, the African-American or black population who make up right now about 13% of the population will have had to join forces. And listen, they've already begun to join forces. Don't kid yourself. I said it earlier. I'll say it again. They've joined forces, the black Population, 13%, and that small percentage that is the Black Lives Matter group, they're joining forces already with Muslims. That's reality. You can like it. You don't have to like it. You don't have to. I'm not here to offend you. I am here to teach you. They've joined forces. But what happens when that 13% of the population grows and then they join forces in, in, in larger and larger and larger? What happens? Thank you, Jerry. I appreciate that. I think I might have been yelling. What happens when they join forces with the Muslims? It, all, yeah, yeah, now, let me just say, all Muslims, including the peace-loving ones, air quotes, They join forces, and now all of a sudden they have percentages necessary to dominate. Then guess what? Instead of whatever the Black Lives Matter, BLM folks, think they'll get as a nirvana, this is what they're pursuing. When the whites are gone and disenfranchised, you know what they're going to get? The Muslim portion of the Black Lives Matter will say, hey, you know what we're going to do now? We're going to do Sharia law. Dang, that did not work out. But you know what? It's not only going to be them that gets Sharia law. It's going to be us. We all will. We'll all get it. And you know what? There'll be no police to protect you. There'll be no military. That's probably another show. But my my point is we've got to make connections. Governor Louisiana says we're not going to tolerate more hate and violence tearing apart the lives of the families of the people of Louisiana. This is a horribly telling statement, folks. We've been tolerating all this. We've been sitting back. We've been saying, man, you know, this is terrible, wringing our hands. We all know that we've done this. We all know it. We haven't put a stop to any of it. We allow our police to be killed, and we accept the word retaliate. By the way, folks, we're going to be having a guest blogger come on. Um, probably not going to be on the show because they're very shy, but a guest blogger. You have to watch my blog, the Ninja Pastors blog. There'll be some cool stuff on there. Very smart person. we got to put – look – 
We haven't stopped any of this. The, the, the police officers being killed, we allow it. And you allow it every time you, you have a person, a Black Lives Matter or a Muslim or whatever, use that word retaliate and you don't step up and say, well, retaliate against what? Racism, systematic institutional racism, the murder of our black men. Newsflash, more than twice the number of white people are killed by police officers every year. We accept it. when We accept the murder of our police officers when the president says we have a racism problem in the United States. We don't have a racism, by the way, racism problem, not in the way that he means. Look, we have a black president. We have our second black attorney general. We have blacks in positions of power in every walk of life. And let me tell you something. Many blacks get special and better treatment because they are black. They're 13% of the population. Wouldn't it be statistically disproportionate for them to be in over 50% or more of the leadership, judicial, media, or any kind of role that you see daily? Yet that's what they tell you. They want and should see. They're 13% of the population, but they want half or more. And you know that you know from the other fights that we've had politically that that's not really what they want. They don't want 50-50. They don't want even. They want domination. And that's reality. And if you don't like it, well, you must not like living. Look, we tolerate the media and government. They tout that same thing, forbidding us to mention that Muslims are killing us, that they're Barely killing innocents, like a, a little boy, in astounding numbers. Look, we should be seeing this on the news every single night. Why? Because it's happening every single day. Look, in the old days, this was serious news. And we understood that if it's occurring in the world, it affects us. And it will eventually be here and be here in greater numbers. Or we'll be asked by other countries, hey, please help us. But not now. Not now. I'm going to say this, and, and look, you know, there's some people that have really railed at this when I did the video earlier, um, which is on Facebook, the Facebook Live video. I've got a lot of hate from that, a lot of private messages saying, look, you know, you, you can't say this, but it's absolutely true, and you know that it is. We almost tolerated the Orlando Police FBI redaction of information that might make us mad. Who would it make us mad at? Muslims. For what? Killing Americans. Not because it was untrue, but because it might make us mad at Muslims. So they redacted that. They said that doesn't help anything. Look, you've got to start connecting the dots. You've got to stop tolerating. Look, I, I, believe, I believe this. We're going to bring on our guest, Dr. Stephen Turley, here in a second. And, and this is what I'm going to recommend today. That all the, and I know that I have a lot of Baltimore City Police Department officers who, who listen to this show. I get messages from them all the time. I believe you should file a class action lawsuit against Marilyn Mosby. I absolutely do. Being, no, no, not just the ones who were charged. I mean the entire police department, everybody on the police department should file a class action lawsuit against Marilyn Mosby, her office, the attorney general's office, the state's, you know, state's attorney's office. This is malicious. I mean, there's no other way to call this than politics of personal destruction because of race. Because of race. I need you to understand something. During this time period, what are we? How far are we along? July of 2016. I don't even look. Let's just go back to April. During this time period, 
There were 1,274 now Islamic attacks in 50 countries in which 11,000, uh, well, 12,000 now people were killed and almost 15,000 people were injured. Do you catch those numbers? Are, are you hearing me? Almost 1,300 Islamic attacks, 50 countries, in which 12,000 people are killed and almost 15,000 people are injured. That is just this year alone back to April. And now we got this axe guy, this 17-year-old who uh, injured four people with an axe on a train. He's pledging allegiance to the Islamic State. But what does the Bishop of, of Würzburg, Germany, say where this happened? Friedhelm Hoffman? One is speechless at such a moment, the fact that cannot be understood. You're not going to understand it. Understand that these are evil, awful people. Look, I've got pages and pages and pages and pages and pages of attacks, details on attacks. And what do they want? They want a lot of stuff. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you all about all the stuff that they want. Uh, here in a little bit, but we're very fortunate, uh, very, very lucky to have this gentleman uh, again on the show, Dr. Stephen Turley. He teaches theology and rhetoric at Tall Oaks Classical School in Newcastle, Delaware. He's also a professor of fine arts at uh, Eastern University in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. He's an absolute gem and friend of the show. Um, welcome, uh, Steve. How are you? We're glad to have you here. Yeah, Sean, it's great to be back with you. I'm doing well. I I tell you what, you write some good stuff, and I'm always eager to promote it. Um, you just recently wrote an article that I think is just absolutely, um, it's it's darn stunning. It's in ChristianPost.com. If you go to ChristianPost.com, you'll you'll see it there. Uh, Stephen Turley, Steve Turley is an op-ed contributor, and on the 14th of July, uh, he posted a, a, an article there that I think you just you absolutely have to see. Um, I pose a lot of things. You're, obs- you know, and and I like, uh, I like good thinking. I like strong thinking. I like a strong mind. I'm a guy who thinks that we, uh, we for whatever. I I don't even know what the reason is. We 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 no longer we no longer respond well hmm. to right. thinkers. We make the thinkers, we put the thinkers to the back of the room. We say, no, that's, you know, anything that takes more than just a couple of minutes, we don't have time for. Anything that takes a little bit of thought, a little bit more thought, we just don't have time for. We say, man, that's that's not for me, man. I got to right. go do my, my Pokemon Go or whatever that thing is. <laughs> so so what brought you to write this article? Tell us a little bit about the article. I, I um I, I, I'd, love to, I'd love for our audience to hear how that kind of came about. You know, people, a lot of times people don't understand what, what happens to a person who writes and thinks and comments. Uh, what does, you know, what happens that brings about that article? Can you tell me a little bit about the development of this? Yeah, there, it's, uh, for me, writing is very uh, therapeutic, the writing on on, on cultural issues, um, as I'm sure, get, get sitting down in that chair in front of the microphone is 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 a, it's a form of therapy. It's a form of of being able to make sense of uh, the the crazy world uh, that we're living in. 
Uh, I do believe, as we've talked before, I do think uh, the secular world is on its brink. It, it can only go so much more. Um, it's uh, it's collapsing all over the place, and um, which is good news uh, because I, as uh, as you know, I do I see real little difference between the uh, secularization processes that are so formative and, and powerful today and, and tyranny. They're, they're basically one and the same. So writing articles like this enables me to, uh, to go beyond, uh, you know, just um, throwing the pillow at the television, uh, just uh, yelling at, at, at friends who don't get it. Or uh, this, this enables me not to yell. It enables me not to, uh, uh, to purge um my my anger uh it 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 enables me to be constructive with things and so what i do you know my phd is in part uh uh in cultural analysis and so i i just bring those um uh those analyses to bear on the various issues that we're facing today and then um provide some hopeful answers as well in the midst of it. There are some wonderful things going below the surface. Uh, You and I know it well just where we are. Uh, We have great Christian community that's just, um, that's, uh, you know, withering the storm and uh, weathering, I should say, the storm. And um, and I write largely for them, and um, but I also write for, for those Christians who feel pretty hopeless in the midst of all this. And certainly this Situation. Uh, I wrote the article about uh, the media's race myth right after the Dallas shootings, uh, and of course, uh, since then we've had another tragedy with, uh, or outrage, probably is a better word, at uh, Baton Rouge with three more police officers being killed by a by a self-proclaimed black nationalist. Uh, in fact, I don't know, Sean, if I, I called in a, just a few minutes ago, so I've been missing the show. I don't know if you mentioned a stat that twice as many police officers have been killed thus far this year in the line of duty than last year. I mean, yep. it's just crazy. You know, yeah, it's just uh, it's it's not so. So what I find perplexing in all of this, and I think a lot of your listeners would as well, is um, is that with every police killing of a black man, the media's introspection for its cause is always focused on the shooter, in this case, the police officer. Even, even although so much effort is expended by the media to distance, for example, Islam and Muslims from individual terrorist attacks. But nevertheless, you know, that's... That's the uh, template that's used. But then, when it's the other way around, when an officer is gunned down by a black assailant, um, the media's introspection tends to bypass the shooter, and it remains on the law enforcement of which the victim was a was a member. And so, you know, immediately my questions are how do we account for this discrepancy in reporting this is this is much deeper than merely the assailant and the victim um and so it's it's getting to the source of this discrepancy that i explore in the article wow why do you think christians are so christians and white people in general are so um passive why do you think that is 
Yeah, I think there's a couple of reasons. Um, one is that the very air that we breathe is uh, indicative of actually what I explore in the article, this thing called emancipatory politics. Um, there's an old joke that uh, in the 1960s, the, uh, the curriculum um, was changed at the universities. And the change was now black students get to study black history um, Native American students get to study Native American history. Hispanic students get to study Hispanic history. Women get to study women's history. And white men have to study black history, Native American history, Hispanic history, and women's history. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's an overwhelming cultural trajectory that in effect states that um, the past has been characterized by uh, intolerances and disenfranchisements um, and uh, bigotry. And we're in a new age of uh, democratic enlightenment where we are, um, we are emancipating uh, uh, hitherto for um, disparaged and, uh, and, and, and excluded groups. And so I think what um, the uh, generally what we would call the white male today, the American white male, particularly the American Christian white male, every, uh, those two, um, those uh, three categories are what are considered to be blamed for those uh, past um, uh, evils, and so. What emancipatory politics, in effect, says is that we are going to liberate um, constituencies that have in the past been disenfranchised by a dominant tradition that impeded them from exercising sovereign control of their lives. And that dominant tradition was primarily white, European, Christian males. And if you're, if you're if you are uh, embodying that demographic, there's literally nothing for you in our culture and our society today um, to to draw from for uh, for inspiration and uh, for cultural identity. It's it's all been it's all been removed. So I think that's I think that's a major emphasis. I think also just the privatization of the faith. We've talked about this before. How uh, the advent of secularization in, right after World War I uh, more or less just pushed the church out of the public square into the private sphere of life, and now it's been consigned to the food courts of society. Uh, you go to Sukihana, you know, I go to you know, uh, Salad Works, and everybody just finds something that works for them, and nobody can say that the restaurant they can go to is, is – is morally better or, or more true than any other consumerist choice. That's where Christianity has been placed. Just think about where it used to be, say, in Europe or in Puritan New England. The church, the church was right at the center of urban development, uh, of urban planning. Uh, the church is right on the green. It's usually the highest, uh, the steeple. It's the highest building in the entire city or village. Today, you know, churches have just been pushed off into uh, the realm of consumerism next to dry cleaners and pizza huts. And, 
And now we can't declare truth any more than a dry cleaner or a pizza hut can. And so I think that itself creates a tremendous sense of passivity for Christians to speak truth when, when the truth has been so relativized, so privatized. Man, that is that is some powerful stuff. That is super, super powerful. Um, we have a caller. Uh, let me see. I'm going to see if I can. Um, I'm not sure if I can link you two together. All right, we'll see. We'll see if he can do that. Um, I think he's driving, so I don't want him to be unsafe. But um, he always has great questions, so we'll see if we can make it happen here. Um, you know, the, the national media, in your article, you say among the number of reactions to these tragedies, many are utterly perplexed as to the way the national media has covered the aftermath of the shooting. Why is the media so quick to blame police officers for systematic uh, systemic racism when so much effort is expended to distance Muslims from terrorist attacks and warn us against Islamophobia? And I, and I, tap, I touched on that uh, early on in the broadcast, and, and I've referenced your article in different speeches and stuff. Um, Greg Gutfeld, you, you talk about this in your, in, in, your, uh, in your article, and I like how you made this connection. Um, we're, we're of one accord here. The Dallas police had nothing to do with any of those incidents, either in Louisiana or, or elsewhere. They, they didn't have anything to do with that. They weren't, you know, they're not the Minnesota police. They're not the Louisiana right. police. They're Dallas police. But, but five of them got murdered for it. Right. But, and, I, and I use it in my open. I, I talked about the, the retaliation, the use of the word of retaliation. I reject that. I reject that completely. Uh, our acceptance of retaliation for their anger about, you know, uh, police officers killing. And, and it turned out that it was both of these cases are turning out to be very, very valid shootings. They're clean shoots. Uh, the one guy had a gun in his pocket. He was trying to get his hand to his pocket. At several points, he had his hand on the gun in his pocket uh, and it was trying to shoot the police officer. That's number one. Uh, also, he was a, uh, a sex offender. He was wanted for a sex offender against children. And then Philando Castro had a gun on his lap and told the police officer, I got a gun. Um, you know, I have to tell you, you know, all these things fall apart at some point, but by then the damage is done. And the race peddlers, the race hustlers, they all know that they're perpetually aggrieved, the professionally uh, aggrieved people. They, you know, by the time it comes out and, and the press is, they're such wimps, <laughs> they don't ever say anything. So here's the question. There's a story. Uh, this is from Steve from Ohio, and I'm sorry I couldn't figure out how to link, link you two up. There's a story involving a bucket with a hole in it. But to plug the bucket, you have to sharpen the axe to cut the wood, to make the plug, to get the water, to wet the stone. Uh, and it's associated with many of the different variables that people will blame why society's action is against officers now. Does he feel, this is you, do you feel uh, that there's a step that we can fix or, that, or, or something we can do in order to change the way we get the water and get rid of the leaky bucket? You see what I was saying here? Oh, you yeah, sure, sure, sure. Sure. Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, he goes right. He goes right to the heart of it. There, um, he's he 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 knows the punchline before you know. Like I'm a comedian, and he hits the punchline before I get to it. Um, yeah. Yeah. I I I I really do believe 
that there is no secular solution to this. Um, And that's because uh, secularization is actually driving a lot of this. And that's one of the things that I try to bring up in my article, how how a secular view of life and a secular view of government and a secular view of race uh, actually uh, create this incredibly vicious racism and violence, in this case, deadly racism and violence uh, against police officers. So, so what I argue um, just briefly at the end of the uh, article is that we're going to need a new racial paradigm. We're going to need a new racial logic, to, to coin the phrase. Uh, obviously, racial logic is going to be how are we as a culture going to interpret race? My wife is from Japan. And uh, a Japanese conception of race is very, very different than an American conception or a Russian conception of race is very different than a Nigerian conception of race. All cultures have different uh, ways of defining and delineating race. We are going to need a, a fundamentally different paradigm by which to define race. I believe the Christian paradigm has that. I think uh, Christianity uh, for 1,500 years has entailed within it a racial myth, as we would say, a myth being that story by which all stories are understood. It's not something that's uh, un, you know, uh, non-real. A myth is something that is like presuppositional. It's right at the core of how we understand what it means to be a culture and a people. And from the New Testament onwards, to be baptized into the church meant that we were baptized into a new culture, which entailed a new racial identity. So the, the, the whole idea of being born again entailed within it the birth of a new race, a, a Christian people, and one that overwhelmed all the hostilities in the Greco-Roman world, the racial, social, and the sexual binaries. I'm thinking of Galatians 3, 27, 28 in particular. And you see early Christians like Aristides of Athens um, actually developed this idea that Christians were a new race. He wrote a letter to the emperor uh, saying, oh, emperor, we know um, that there are three races in the empire. There are, there are Greeks, there are barbarians, and there are Jews. But now a new race has emerged, and they're Christians, and I want to tell you about them. So Christians have understood themselves as a race born again in Christ, and, and it's a race that incorporates all cultures, all people groups, all ethnicities. They get to express When Paul says the kingdom of God is neither food or drink in Romans 14, what he's really saying is the kingdom of God is all foods and all drinks. We all get to bring our cultural gifts to bear in the shared life world of the universal church as those cultural gifts are being redeemed in Christ. So I believe only Christianity has a racial narrative that quite literally draws everybody in uh, puts forward something that is absolutely equal in terms of our innate dignity and worth and places love and redemption at the center of that racial identity. Nothing else has that. So it's, we're going to need a new paradigm. I, again, I think the good news is this paradigm is 
starting to collapse. The prerogative that Black Lives Matter has had in defining and delineating what is and is not racism is just, I think it's falling apart. It's it's beefed up by given sort of a legitimation or normalcy in the media. But everywhere you look, uh, the narrative is just being contradicted. And like what we saw with communism, eventually just enough, it reaches critical mass and enough people say, forget this. And I think you're starting to see a resurgent Christianity taking place, albeit uh, in the uh, underground, as it were, that may be able to, to make up for that void. You have a, I'm going to quote you um, in, in your article, such racial logic has since engendered the notion that white police officers as enforcers of the systemic domination are engaged in a racist war against black civilians. From this vantage point, the recent Sterling and Castile shootings can't be seen as isolated incidents. They are, by definition, symptoms revealing the painful, air quotes, truth about an epidemic of police on black crime. And so what happens when this emancipatory myth enters into the reporting and commentary of journalists and pundits? It takes on a pre-factual, folks don't miss this word, pre-factual significance in that as a myth, it teaches us not only how to interpret facts, but also what actually constitutes a fact. This is why the epidemic of black-on-black crime is ignored by journalists, since it offers nothing for the legitimization of the emancipatory narrative, unless we're talking about gun control, that is. And the major cause – here's the secret sauce here. And the major cause of such crime, the staggering illegitimate birth rates among blacks is dismissed due to the fact that emancipatory politics has redefined the family as a mere lifestyle choice, precluding any idealized – this is why police officers are enforced as a, enforcers of a social system riddled with racial – discrepancies while Muslims are a disenfranchised minority in the West who have been victims of such discrepancies. Now, I, I want to say this. Uh, I, I have uh, friends who were on uh, when Megyn Kelly had her big, uh, supposed to be like a, a summit type of deal. Uh, Megyn Kelly had, um, well, she had Black Lives Matter leaders and black uh, activists, and then she had some black conservatives, some of whom were my friends, uh, one of whom is Kevin Jackson. He's going to be on the show in the coming weeks. Um, and at other white people. And, and then they had Tom Borelli. Um, and uh, he was on. His wife is black. She's been on this show. She's, she's really a superstar in the conservative movement. But she's black. Tom is white. She is black. And Tom was speaking and he said, you know, to this other black – he's actually a gay black ad, ad, uh, activist who is also pro-Muslim, go figure. Um, and and he, he says, you know, he's, he blathers on about all these things that simply aren't true. He says things that aren't true, but all you really have to do is get them out there, get them said, and then boom, you're good to go. You're absolutely good right. to go. It, it, once it's heard, it's heard. If it's the press or it's on television or radio, it's heard and it's good to go if it fits the narrative. But the fact of the matter is uh, Tom Borelli, when it was his turn finally to speak, he says, and his wife is Deneen Borelli. Everybody kind of knows who she is. She's sitting next to him. She's black. He's white. And he says to this uh, LGBT pro-Muslim 
black activist, he, when he when he quotes all these things, they're just absolutely blabbered. They're they're completely untrue. He says, "So wait a second. You know, you're quoting things that simple. They're not true. They're absolutely. It's data." And he goes, "Oh, you know, not true to you, but any thinking person knows." And you know, then they go into that, and he kind of smiles, a sort of dismissive sort of, "Oh, you're so pedantic. You're so stupid." Meanwhile, Doctor Doctor Tom Borelli is an extremely intelligent man, sure. um, and he says, "No, the, the problem that you don't want to talk about is black on black crime, black men killing other black men, black teens killing other black teens, um, just at a at a rate that is inexcusable. You don't want to talk about the the abandonment. Seventy one percent of all black families, the fathers nowhere to be found. He's not participating in the family." Um, he's not a part of, of the institution of family. And so when he said that, you know, uh, he, he kind of got forceful and he said, look, you know, you can't keep spouting things out there that simply aren't true. You've got to start speaking the truth. The truth has to come out. Well, he got shouted down and the guy kind of laughed him off and puts his hand up and goes, you're being very threatening right now. You're being very forceful right now. Well, he said, you're lying. You're lying on international television. You're 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 saying things that, that aren't true. They're they're it's not you're not just misquoting, you're completely false. Right. And they right. you know, it seems like ethnic minorities they can do and say, This is what you say in the article, right after the part I quoted, is this is also why ethnic minorities can do or say anything that is racially charged and remain immune from charges of racism. I think a lot of people, uh, and we're on with Dr. Steve Turley, uh, wrote a, a great article um, in the, is it called the Christian Post? ChristianPost.com? Yeah. Well, they can That's just go right. to your website, right? There's a link on your website, I'm sure. There's also mm -hmm. a link on, on uh, if you go to the blog post for today on the ninjapastor.com, there's a link there uh, where it's Dr. Steve Turley's name. And it's highlighted. Just click on that link. It'll take you right to this article and uh, right there on his website. And, and it's worth doing. Leave a comment when you're there. There's nothing that's more encouraging for somebody that talks to a, a, a black sheet, a black soundproofing, or a person who writes an article in the corner of a room in the middle of the night uh, to have somebody leave a, a great comment. Now, we do have a question coming in from chat. Um, how do we demand as a country or enforce as a country accountability for religions? or groups who are inciting violence. You know, that's a great question, Steve mm. from Ohio, and, I, and I'll tell you what else, too. It's often under the guise of the lie of we're all about peace. Like, for instance, the, uh, what is it, ECFW? I can't remember what it is, but war is not the answer. You know that group? It's, it's mm -hmm. oh, man, I can't think of it. Whatever, whatever, I think they're a Lutheran group. Well, they got caught. They got caught uh, in a flotilla shipping thousands of weapons and explosives and, and guns and everything and tens of thousands of rounds of ammunition, not once, not twice, but multiple times to Hamas. Hamas, uh, yeah. And they're the peace lovers. They're the ones running around You're with right. those bumper stickers. And they say, well, right. you know, we have to, we have to do this. It's, it's so important. Right. You know, if we didn't have to do it, we wouldn't do it, but we have to. So, so what is your answer to Steve from Ohio? I'm sure other people have this question. Um, I, I, I let me let me just say this before you get into your much smarter answer than I'll give. As a pastor, as a guy who speaks all over this country, uh, I, I'm so blessed to have the opportunity to stand in front of all kinds of different audiences and all kinds of different demographics. And I can tell you, I say the same thing everywhere I go, whether it's a black dominant audience believe it or not they asked me to come and let me tell you something 
they are the most gracious, appreciative, responsive audience I have. I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, nine times out of ten, they treat me with tremendous respect and, and kindness. So I say the same thing there that I, that I say, uh, you, know, you know, anywhere. And I say this. Look, churches, you, a lot of what's happening here, you're responsible for it. And I'll point even to the pastors. If, the, if it's a church that I'm speaking out, I'll say, Pastor, it, it, unless they're a very involved pastor, very politically involved, very aggressive, uh, I'll say, you need to join the Black Robe Regiment. Mm-hmm. Because you've advocated, uh, you know, or, or or we need to get stronger in our in our stance. We need to we need to stand up. Um, we look. We're so afraid. Churches now. This we don't have the church that that uh, we do our kehala. It meets uh, every Sunday. We have dinner from five to five thirty, and then we go live on the air. Uh, by the way, great things happening. We think we have the sound issue licked on Sunday. So uh, listen in this Sunday. Um, there'll be an announcement coming out, a blog post and everything. So we think you're going to be very pleased with the sound quality. If we can make this work, then the sound problems are solved. And, and those who listen, there's about 40, 41 to 41 to 51,000 people that listen on Sundays. Um, so Steve from, uh, he, he, he adds a, a, a sort of a caveat here specifically is a wall and stricter immigration, a way to stop the bleeding when we can worry about the surgery. Then we can worry about the surgery. So, so I guess that's really a question about the wall. That's, you know, the elephant in the room. The RNC is going on now. Uh, you know, Donald Trump, let me tell you, his son last night, really, in my opinion, just absolutely crushed it. He crushed mm-hmm. it. He did a beautiful job. Uh, his kids are phenomenal, amazing people. I know someone that's uh, around his family on a daily basis for the last 15 years. He has nothing but good things to say about Donald Trump. He has nothing but good things to say about even better things to say about Donald Trump's children, as I think most of America would say. But the fact of the matter is, you know, the big conversation is the wall. And, you know, he says, look, let's build a wall. Uh, Look, you know, there's a physical wall, and then there is a um, sort of a subconsciously acknowledged wall of excellent, strong enforcement, legal law enforcement, border patrol, border enforcement, um, there's, you know, there's the physical wall that you can see, and then there's the, the people wall that's created when, when we have a leadership in this country that says, hey, you know, we can't have it. Either we're going to have a country or we're not. Right, right. Before you answer, let me say this. Look, anybody that's listening to this show knows Donald Trump wasn't even my eighth choice. Uh, <laughs> Ted Cruz was my first choice, and I differ with, with some of my friends who say, you know, he's a Canadian, he's, he's not eligible, whatever. He was my guy. Uh, I feel very strongly that, boy, for such a time as this, he was the man for the job. Um, you know, I don't like that there's hesitation to endorse now. Uh, you know, everybody took an oath, and the only one that kept his oath is is Donald Trump, and I don't like that. You say he's, he lacks character. Well, he did what he promised he would do, and, and other folks aren't. I'm, I'm very disappointed in that. But the fact of the matter is I think we have to build a wall. And, and going back to the churches. The churches have to say, you know what? We don't care about the 501c3. We're going to preach what, what is right and true. We're going, to, we're going to preach about the collision of faith and politics. And no law of man usurps the law of God or the reach of God, quite frankly. And, and so at some point or another, we've got to, we've got to kind of grow a pair as, as, a, as, a, as a church and leaders of the church and say, hey, we're – we're not wimps. We're not milk toast. We're, we're not going to allow this to happen. But when you have a physical wall, because the, the issue isn't really 
one thing, right? It's not just immigration. It's not just right. Black Lives Matter. It's not just Muslims coming into the country. It's, it's all of those things together. And my goodness, aren't we people that can manage more than one thing at a time? My lands, couldn't we, can't we handle a few things at once? I mean, it just seems like it's absolutely ridiculous that we, you know, one thing at a time, we got to do just one thing at a time. Um, what do you think? I mean, the wall, we build the wall, we make it impenetrable, and then what do we do? Yeah, that's a, this is great. I I do think um I think you're right on. I think the if if we're at, if we're going to answer a question about what do you do with with Islam, um it can't be answered in isolation. Uh it it's got to be understood uh, as a as a total systemic approach. In this election, um, it's going to be very interesting to see to what extent um, the same kind of worldwide forces that have been fueling something like Brexit uh, among the English in particular, the Irish and uh, the Scots didn't really uh, care for Brexit. This was really more English nationalism sort of reasserting itself. Uh, or what we've been seeing in Russia and the turn towards nationalism, what we've been seeing in Israel, in India, um, in South Sudan, uh, in Japan, um, these 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 nationalistic right uh, word uh, forces that are going on all around the the world. Uh, to what extent are they going to be manifested in uh, in 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 our country? I think it's going to be very strong. It obviously is. Uh, Trump has tapped into that with a with a certain genius, uh, regardless of how we feel about him. Um, he has tapped in with the rhetoric. He's tapped in with the sort of the attitude. He's tapped in with the uh, the issues. Uh, that are really concerning people that um, political correctness and and globalized sensibilities simply don't even allow us to talk about we're, they're not even allowed to be uh, imagined as it were he's really opened that up and he's turned this election not not into a right versus left or conservative versus liberal but a nationalist versus globalist paradigm so that's going to be really fascinating to see how that plays out if it does play out then uh then certainly um a a a, uh, a very uh tightened border wall uh, security what have you uh, is central to this. Um, we have to remember the New Testament never gets rid of borders and boundaries. It, it simply redefines them, but it doesn't get rid of them. Borders and boundaries historically have always been part of a just war tradition or a just use of force tradition that's well within the Christian tradition. The vast majority of Christians throughout the ages have ascribed to it. And so, um, so this is something that is I think incumbent upon Christians to argue that if we have open borders, on one hand, we have open values. That's a very interesting connection. Open borders means open values. What we've found with mass immigration, both legal and illegal, it's radically changing the demography of our nation to one favoring liberal democratic policies and preconceptions. 
And it's not that the immigrants themselves are social liberals. Most of them are not. But the Democrats have persuaded, we might say exploited, uh, but uh, persuaded the vast majority of, of these minority groups that their political advocacy is found in a center-left coalition. And when you look at the numbers that were voting for John Kerry in 2004 and Barack Obama in 2008 and 2012, the numbers of Hispanic and Asian votes. I mean, we're talking 64, 73 percent. I mean, these are absolutely huge margins. And so the stream of immigration has flowed uninterrupted over the last few decades. It's providing this increasingly insurmountable political demographic responsible for the advancement of left-wing social agendas. And and the and the potential consequences are 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 just beyond belief. Uh, it's been said that the liberal politics of California today will be those of Texas tomorrow, unless this flow of immigration is halted. And so, so this would be the significance of the border wall and Trump's policy of a very muscular uh, border from this vantage point of the left. On the other side, and I really appreciate the way on your program you note this connection between left-wing radicalism and and radical Islam. They're this very bizarre sort of uh, coalition that comes together. Um, so if on the one hand open borders gives us open values, on the other hand open borders actually threatens uh, the very existence of our nation in, in terms of uh, violence and, uh, and terrorism. And so uh, absolutely no question, borders have to be locked up. I, I, the rhetoric that we're hearing from, say, G Gingrich and Trump, that uh, jihad has to be made illegal. Anybody who even toys with this thing needs to be deported. Th that's the kind of rhetoric indicative of the, uh, the, the resurgent of nationalism that you're finding all over the world. Japanese talk exactly that way. We may get very nervous with that, but I think that's only because we've been so in inundated with political correctness and emancipatory politics. Like you, you know, said, it doesn't make me nervous, by the way. Right, it doesn't right. at all no, make I, me nervous. Yeah, I, yeah. I know I, it doesn't make you nervous, Sean. Very few things I know make you nervous. That's for sure. Well, the thing is, is you know, I, I have to say it's it's a uh, it's a little bit exasperating because I think what's wrong with? Well, I'll, I'll give you an example. Have you been to Texas? I have. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Have you been to Illinois? I have been to Illinois as well. Yep. Okay, and you've obviously been to the state of Delaware. Which one would you say is more proud to be a Texan? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Which one is more proud of its of its origin? Which one is more proud? Hey, I am an you know Ill, yeah. Illini. I am a Texan. I am a Delawarean. Of course, you never hear anybody say that. Right. 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 It was it was explained to me as a matter of fact in the uh, in the schools you learn more about Texas history than you do American history. There's, there's really this sense uh, that Texas is its own republic. Oh, there's no doubt. And they're very independent people. Uh, right. You know, they're extremely independent people. There very are people that do. very can do. There are more people originally from Texas per capita and that remain in Texas per capita than any other state in the nation. And you, you know, you say, well, that's because they're too dumb to get out. They're not too dumb. They're smart. Right. And, and like you say, that sort of myth that's created where we re, 
we relabel them as dumb people. We say, well, they're dumb. That's why they don't leave. And that's somehow acceptable. Yet you want to, you want to be, you want to go someplace where the people know who they are. It's in Texas. And, right. and, and most often the people that aren't from there are the ones that cause the problems. But, right. you know, uh, we, we have a question. Uh, Steve uh, asks about the, you know, that tightrope. We walk this tightrope that we're supposed to be fairly peaceful people. Uh, you know, our ideology, religious, from a religious standpoint in different groups, we're supposed to be peaceful uh, we want to keep our religious freedom. We, we want to have this separation of church and state, which let me just say this with a show like the collision of faith and politics. I don't care about the separation of church and state as far as it relates to my freedom being exercised, uh, given to me directly in analytically from nature and nature's God. I, that's mine. And, and no government can exercise any control over that. They can think they do, but the only way they really do the, the only way they really do is if I allow them. The difference between I talk about um, I talk about the Center for Self Governance all the time, and we teach in Level One the difference between power and control. Look, mm. we we really have the power, but we've given the control to the government or it. We've said, hey, you know, I'm too busy. Hey, you know, I'm too busy to learn the system. I'm too busy to learn. Uh, you know, the election cycles. I'm too busy. I just, you know, once every four years, I pretend to be a great American. I wear some patriotic clothing and I go and I vote. And then I put a sticker on and go, kiss me, I voted. Um, <laughs> you know, they think that they've done it. They make some Facebook posts and that's the ticket. But the fact of the matter is, is there's way more than that. But we cede to it, this, this non-human, our power. And then we go to them and we ask them for peanuts. We go to them and we say, can I please have some rights? Can I have some tax money back from my contributions to the church? Can I have some right. credit for that? Right. And can you give me a discount on my taxes? You know, we do that and we're fools for doing that because every time we do it, we give them more of our, we give them more control that we should be wielding because our power comes from God. And, right. you know, it's, it's funny to me uh, that, that somehow or another, we 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 have this this the whole notion, and I know this audience knows this that the 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 separation of church and state is nowhere in the Constitution. That Thomas Jefferson, the Danbury Baptist, wrote him a letter. They said, "Look, we don't want you to force a religion on us. This thing that you're writing, we don't want to we don't want the state to force a religion on it on us." And he said, "No, there shall always be a separation of church and state, um, meaning that the state will never encroach upon religion." Uh, not right. the other way around. So right. what do you think? What do you think churches can do? I think more to the point, uh, Steve from Ohio's question, um, and, and by the way, Jerry from Pennsylvania has a, has a great comment here, um, and, and he always does, and, and it's, it's, it's pretty powerful stuff. But if you do a, a search, a Bible search, if you have like Logos or Word Search or something of that sort, uh, or Olive Tree, whatever, uh, none of them, by the way, pay me for to say their name. Uh, if you do a Bible search in any of those search engines, the nations, you just search the phrase the nations, you find God works through nations throughout man's time on earth and even the regenerated earth. That there are nations, there's going to be nations, and to have a nation, you have to have a border. That's that's right. what makes a nation. Now, it could be a, a faith border. It could, be a, it could be any number of types of borders. But the fact of the matter is, there are borders among all of us that doesn't necessarily make us at enmity with each other. It, it's just, 
you know, Texans, look, Texans would just as well, they'd just be uh, pleased if if non-Texans would just stay out. Uh, I, I know lots of Texans, and, and uh, they would be very pleased if Texans would just go in and stay out. They, look, we don't need you here. Um, you, you know, Steve from Ohio says that there are three, essentially three power grids in the United States, three electrical power grids in this whole country. Texas has its own. Texas doesn't need power from any other part. The two other halves of the country, they have the other two, but Texas has its own power grid. And and the the United States needs Texas. Yeah, yeah. Texas doesn't need the United States. Right. Texas doesn't lose a beat. Not Not one tiny bit. Right. Right. There was an article written just right after Brexit that said, hey, why not Texas? <laughs> you know, so they're, they're, that's that can-do attitude. It's, uh, uh, it's, it's wonderful. Yeah, I guess when, you're, when we're thinking about uh, religious freedom and what the church can do and the likes, uh, no, these are great questions. I don't want to minimize uh, the complexity of it. Uh, I mean, certainly when, when you have to flesh out details in these things, that it can get kind of bewildering. But uh, I, I agree with you 100% there. I think, I think there's some broad principles we need to always remember. Uh, number, number one, religious freedom comes from a religion. We have to remember that. <laughs> religious freedom comes from a religion. It comes from a religion that honors you, uh, your, the freedom of your conscience. It sees you as uh, creating the image of God with innate dignity and worth, and you can make your own decisions. Um, it's a religion that says that salvation is an absolutely free gift and can't be forced on anyone. I mean, the religious freedom comes from a religion. That's just something we really have to drill in our our heads. This is not something that we just kind of discover, uh, you know, under uh, under a rock here. This is something that is the result, really, scholars would argue, as I understand it, very much the result of the Reformation, and particularly Luther's idea that when it comes to the kingdom of heaven, it's between me and God. Now, the kingdom on earth, you're going to have to have state and church and family, and you're going to have to have institutions there running that. But when it comes to your your personal commitment to God, that, that really is between you and God. So that's, that's sort of the, the, um, the religious freedom uh, emphasis that no state has the right to tell you how to worship. I think the second thing to remember is the, st- the church-state separation is not necessarily a religion law separation. We have to remember that, too. That's an important distinction. So the institutional distinction between the church and the state, so the church is not the state, the state's not the church, that does not at all imply that our laws and legislations are not going to be radically influenced by that very religion that gave us religious freedom in the first place. Religion and law need each other, and they imply one another. We've talked about this, of course, in the past. When judges come out and say, you're not allowed to impose your religious opinions on others when it comes to giving out marriage licenses, for example. Well, that judge just used some religious reasoning in his opinion. In other words, he defined and delineated the, uh, the legitimate exercise of religion. And the only way you can do that 
is with some kind of religious reasoning. Just like if I were to define and delineate chemistry, the only way I can do that is with some kind of scientific reasoning. So when I define and delineate religion, I'm theologizing. I'm using some kind of religious reasoning. So no matter what, I mean, I think the founding fathers, I think the reformers, I think the Christian tradition as a whole is pretty clever here. They recognize law is inescapably religious. And if we're going to have a whole generation that says, nope, the only people who get to impose their religious opinions on us are those who claim not to be religious, that's not a sustainable society. That, that's crazy. So I think we have to remember those two things. One, uh, the freedom of religion comes to us from a religion. And two, the separation between church and state is not the same as the separation between law and religion, or as I've heard it put, God and government. God and government are always going to be interconnected in some way. They'd better be, otherwise these guys are making up laws willy-nilly, and then they end up being uh, above the law because they just get to create law. It's known as positivist law, while the rest of us are all under the law in that we're called only to comply. So all laws need to, re- to be uh, consistent and line up with some transcendent divine standard of justice. This is what's known as the lex and use distinction. Lex meaning law, which changes. You know, we pass legislation and so forth. But use, justice, that doesn't change. That's transcendent. So I think if that, those are our two principles, uh, then what do we do? Well, we apply them um, in, in such ways that recognizes that uh, religion, family, and community are pre-political. They create, uh, that's where the greatness of our society is found. They have the, they are held together by bonds and relationships of community and virtue. And provided that one is operating in that pre-political space in a way consistent with uh, 2,000 years of Christian tradition and natural law, um, then we're good. We're okay. Uh, if if there, you want to have a, a Sikh, a small little you know, Sikh section or something, fine. You want to have a small little Islamic section, fine. You want to have you know, an Amish <laughs> mass section, They're, they double every 20 years is a very fascinating statistic. Uh, fine, no problem. The state is there to protect those relationships, not replace them. We're living in a whole different scenario now where there is no pre-political space. You know this, Sean. There is no pre-political space. Everything now is political. Everything is political, and it is political always from a secular vantage point. Secularism makes up the rules. Secularism tells us that the church, like a bishop, you know, can only uh, go diagonally on the board, and that's it. And those rules are designated in, in order to predetermine the outcome of the game. What we're doing is we're calling into question those very rules. We're calling into question the game. And so we, we don't play it. We play by a different game, and it's one that's already been won by a savior on, on a hill in Calvary. It's already been won, and we just uh, we just remain faithful in in realigning time and space for his future return and the transfiguration of all things. So in the meantime, we are very clear about what's going on in terms of our secularized culture, and at the same time, very hopeful that the victory that's already been won is going to manifest itself in that time and space. 
Amen. We need to start living like uh, we have the victory. That's that's the thing. Right. I, I'm going to close out our part of the interview uh, with if we as a nation are ever going to find real racial reconciliation, our leaders and institutions are going to have to look beyond the shadows of a collapsing emancipatory myth toward that hill where all races of every tribe and nation may find peace, where animosity and death transfigure into fellowship and life, a true emancipation, emancipation wherein all things are made new. Dr. Stephen Turley, uh, thank you so much. You can go to turleytalks.com. He's the author of Awakening Wonder, A Classical Guide to Truth, Goodness, and Beauty, and The Ritualized Revelation in the Messianic Age, Washings and Meals in Galatians and 1 Corinthians. He teaches theology and rhetoric at Tall Oaks Classical School, and he's a professor of fine arts at Eastern University. Thank you so much for joining us. It's an absolute honor and pleasure to have you. Uh, thank you for sharing the article with us, and, and uh, we wish you the very best. Look forward to having you back on, and keep fighting the good fight. Thank you so much for, for doing the great work that you do. Thank you so much, Sean. God bless you, man. My pleasure. Take care. So there you have it, folks, a uh, way smarter guy than me. Now, one of the things that Dr. Turley uh, brought up was, and I and I want to – People always say I don't tie it up. Sometimes I just get you stirred up, and then then you don't feel like it's tied up. Well, here's the thing. We mentioned about Kim Davis, Kim Jean Bailey Davis, uh, the county clerk of Rowan County, Kentucky. Remember that Kim Davis? You know she was lionized, or she was uh, she was villainized uh, for uh, taking a stand. Here's the problem. Uh, I, I, I get it, man. I get that people say I harp on the Center for Self Governance. I swear to you, they don't pay me a dime. Um, but it is the secret sauce, and, and this is why. Look, uh, there was, a, there was a, a critical error made uh, in the Kim Davis uh, circumstance. Now, what basically happened was you had this gay couple, uh, and they were funded by the ACLU uh, to do a little experiment, get someone to deny them a marriage certificate after the Supreme Court ruling uh, or opinion was rendered. Um, that in essence that, you know, essentially there was a federal court order uh, directing her to issue marriage licenses following uh, Obergfell and Hodges, Obergfell v. Hodges. Now, here's here's the issue. Uh, At that time, when that happened, she she is – you know, long time she served her – she was assistant to her mother. I did a whole show on this. Um, you can go back and, and research that in uh, if you do in the search bar on the, the ninjapastor.com under the uh, the ninja pastor blog you you'll be you'll have that recording of the show it's free of charge it's super easy it couldn't be easier well here's the thing this woman was really beat to death she um, she's really quite something she um, She's an interesting study. I mean, in, in the blessings of God and also uh, faith in God, no matter what. And so, what, what eventually happened is these people were shopping. These gay uh, gay men were shopping uh, for someone who would deny them a marriage certificate. Of course, they had a full camera crew, professional camera crew with them. Uh, the ACLU's backing financially and otherwise. So finally, they get to Kim Rowan, who they knew was an, a, 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 a devout Christian. She was a she's a um, Pentecostal Christian, um, and so it, it, they'd heard that she was pretty religious, so they went there, and 
she kind of paused uh, and, you know, she was taken aback. And, of course, the liberals love to make fun of people's appearance unless it's their own. And they made fun of how, you know, she's she's not a fashion plate. She lives in Rowan County, Kentucky, number one. She's 50. Uh, so good lands, you know. She's not she's she's not a model, you know. She's not ex- she shouldn't be expected to be a model. But um, anyway, the point of this is is she said no, I can't issue you that. Now, what she was doing is she was obeying Kentucky law and the Kentucky Constitution because the Kentucky Constitution, to which she swore an oath, says she cannot do that. She can't do something. It was it was specifically against the Kentucky law for her to do that. Now. But instead of citing that, she said, because of my religious faith, my Christian faith, I can't do that. It's against my Christian faith. I can do any number of other things, but I can't do that. That's something I cannot do. It violates uh, the standards of my faith. Well, you you know some of the rest of the story, but but I don't think you know all the rest of the story because, um, you know, she was kind of on her own for a long time until the Alliance Defending Freedom uh, different groups. Uh, only when Huckabee uh, got involved, uh, former Governor Huckabee, a former presidential candidate Huckabee, uh, until he got involved, there there wasn't that much uh, help coming her way. The poor lady was just kind of out on, out on an island, and uh, you know she took a lot of flack uh, from. You, you know, LGBT community, well, you're a hater. Oh, yeah, you're pointing your bony digit at us. You're saying we're wrong, but you've been married and divorced three times and, you know, uh, all these other things. I mean, they, they, they just pointed. She was, uh, her first three marriages ended in divorce in 94, 2006, and 2008. She remarried her second husband, which they don't talk about, in 2009. She became an apostolic uh, Pentecostal Christian. And... um you know, and, and they, you know, now, of course, they make claims of nepotism. Well, you only got the job because your mother. Well, sorry to tell you, for almost 30 years, she served as the assistant to the county clerk at that point, assistant county clerk to the county clerk that was her mother. Her mother was very good at the job. She's very good at the job. Um, and but she but 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 the error here was is it was made more of an issue of the religious part of it. And not an issue of, look, I've got to follow the law. And the law that I'm subject to, I can't violate Kentucky law. I'll be arrested. Well, I'll have you know she got put in jail uh, by a federal judge, uh, out, he's out, LGBT judge. I don't know what you call him, gay. I don't know what we even, you know, the language, they've, they've flipped the language around so much, I don't even know what to say. Um, anyway, they were really after her, and, and it's, the woman just couldn't catch a break. And she actually got jailed by this judge. Uh, she didn't violate a crime. She didn't do anything wrong. And and I believe that she should sue uh, really and truly everybody, everybody involved with this. Uh, I believe that she should sue them to the extent that they, they have absolutely no um, – they, they can't even eat. They have to bite their fingernails for food. Um and and I have to say, I'm not a huge Huckabee fan, but Mike Huckabee did help her out because he's the one that gave the term criminalization of Christianity, and, and he really brought a lot of, of attention to this. So all this to say this, all that to say this, you have to understand that what she 
what she did there was completely legal and completely right. By the way, she was a Democrat up until 2015. In fact, uh, Kim Davis filed as a Democrat candidate for county clerk. Her mother was Democrat. She's qualified, you know, 26 years she's there in the clerk's office, and she won handily. And then she went up against a Republican, John Cox. Um, I'm thinking 2014, yeah, 2014. And, um, you know, Cox, the, the, the Republican, of course, said, well, it's nepotism. You, you just are trying to get the job because of your mom, and they're, they're making this happen. Well, uh, ultimately, what this woman had to deal with was just absolutely unreal. And they demanded that she, the left demanded that she resign. They said, look, you know, you've got to resign because you're not doing the duties of your job. And, and that's what everybody was screaming and hollering. But the fact of the matter was she was doing her job legally more. And by the way, the people, the, the, the gay guys, David Airmold and David Moore, were the ones that were trying to get a uh, marriage certificate. They're not even their county, by the way. They didn't live in, they didn't even live in that county. So they're a same-sex couple from Moorhead, Kentucky, and they're both alumni from Moorhead State University, um, which I think is a, a traditionally black university, uh, but they're white guys, white gay guys, and they went there, whatever. Um, so they, they come out with this video footage from July 7, 2015. It went viral. And I mean to tell you, international outrage. I mean, there, there were so many people coming, coming against this woman. But what she should have done and what we teach in the Center for Self-Governance is, look, you got to know the system. You got to know how it works. You've got to know what's really going on here, what the real issue is. And it's never really about issue. It's about being mutually pledged to one another to keep the republic. And this woman was keeping the republic. She was doing the right thing. She simply legally could not say, well, go ahead and get married. She couldn't do it. She couldn't sign this thing and say, well, okay, well, some Supreme Court has told me that I have to do it. Well, Supreme Court issues not laws but opinions. It's up to the, the individual states to enact laws that affect a county clerk, you see. It's not a federal employee. It's a county clerk. So... Um, this judge, Judge Banning, issued a temporary stay on, on August 12th, issued a temporary stay uh, barring Davis from applying her no marriage licenses policy to future marriage license requests. Then the United States Courts of Appeals for the Sixth Circuit refused to extend that ruling in an appeal. It cannot be defensively argued that the holder of the Rowan County Clerk's Office may decline to act in conformity with the United States Constitution. The three-judge panel wrote unanimously in the refusal continuing, there is thus little or no likelihood that the clerk in her official capacity will prevail on appeal. Well, there's only a, there's only a little bitty problem with that. It doesn't have anything to do with the United States Constitution. It has everything to do with the, the laws in existence at that time in Rowan County, Kentucky. So who comes to the, comes to the aid? Liberty Council. Once again, they come to the aid. And they filed an emergency application to appeal with the U.S. Supreme Court on August 31st, uh, 2015, in a one-line order. Supreme Court refused to hear the appeal, preventing Davis from legally continuing to deny marriage. So in other words, they said, look, this is what you got to do. You're going to have to do it. We don't care about your faith. We don't care about state law. We don't care about the law in the county of Kentucky that you, that you have sworn to uphold. 
And she says this, I never imagined a day like this would come where I'd be asked to violate a central teaching of Scripture and of Jesus himself regarding marriage, to issue a marriage license which conflicts with God's definition of marriage with my name affixed to the certificate, which would violate my conscience. And she's brave in doing that. She was a hero. But I talked about the police earlier. You might say, what in the world has this got to do with the police? What's this got to do with with, uh, all these other things? Well, I think that you need to understand something very, 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 very important. And and this is, if you don't understand this, then, my goodness, we're, real, we're, we're in a fix. We're in a fix here. If we can't help you understand the connection here, Lavoie Finicum. By the way, it's, there's there's word that, that the, uh, the federal agents, several of the federal agents uh, in the case where Lavoie Finicum was murdered, and make no mistake, it was a murder. It was it was an assassination. In the case where Lavoie Finicum was murdered, um, if there had been a thousand patriots there, just a thousand, he'd have never been murdered. Standing by his side, a thousand traveling with him, encircling him, protecting him, never would have happened. Where are we with the police? Where are we? What, we're allowing them to be shot one after the other. Sometimes, you know, in that case, the feds did the wrong thing. They did the wrong thing. They should be held to task for it. I hope that they are indicted. I hope that they do go to jail. They murdered a man. This woman, uh, Kim Davis, she, listen, they would have never tried this mess, and the left would never try these anti-American things if the right would get our crap together and stop whining about every other thing. You know, we have a thousand enemies on the right as conservatives, a thousand causes, a thousand enemies, a thousand issues. The left has one to beat us. We hate a thousand things. They hate one thing, us. And they do whatever it takes to win. Center for Self-Governance, we teach this, that Kim Davis, really her, her win would have been to cite Kentucky law, which says that she can't perform outside of that law. She is bound by oath, oath of office, to, to comply with that law. It's up to the legislators. She should have kicked it. But what does she know? She doesn't know to do that. She's, and she did religiously, from a religious grounds, which she should have a right to do, say, hey, I can't do that. It's like forcing a, a doctor or a nurse who's a Christian to, to perform an abortion. Well, you don't have any right. You don't have any Christian. You've got to do what we tell you to do. You say that doesn't happen. It absolutely does happen. It happens all across the country, and Obamacare is pushing it. So if we as a nation, if we, if we got together and we said, look, we need to understand the system, we need to understand the difference between power and control and understand that we've, we're like the elephant with the chain that we could snap easily as an elephant, multi-ton elephant can snap a chain and break a twig that it's tied to, but it's taught from very young, no, this is the chain, this is the government. If you want peanuts, you go to the government. Yeah, you could crush them, but as long as you don't realize you could crush them, too bad, so sad. What if thousands of us got around Kim Davis and said, hey, we're with you, sister? What if somebody came alongside and said, you know, Matt Staver does a lot. Liberty Council does amazing, amazing things. Uh, but what if we came alongside and said, hey, your real issue here is not it's, – it's, it's not her religious objection. Yes, that's, that's a sound thing. But, man, oh, man, the real thing here is she can't be forced to act outside the law of Kentucky. What if – what if we contacted our, our legislators and, our, and, and the, the attorney general and, and the uh, 
and, and the director of the FBI and, and all of our elected officials all the way up, you know, to the highest office and said, every 20 minutes we had people calling saying, when are you going to, the, 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 the director of the FBI violated the law by not indicting Hillary Clinton. When are you going to do that? When are you going to indict her? And then 20 minutes later, another person on the list calls and says, this is what you're mandated to do by law. You have to do this. It's not something you can choose to do, not to do. How about if the people that did the sit-in, the stupid sit-in on the floor of Congress and, 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 and sullied, just soiled that floor with their ignorant uh, protest? What if we, by, by our rights as citizens, called every single, every single 20 minutes and said, Speaker of the House, you need to have the sergeant in arms, escort them out. You need to censure them. You need to publicly chastise them and punish them for violating the decorum of the floor of Congress. You have every legal right to do that. We expect you to do that. And then have every 20 minutes another citizen, another keeper of the republic, not a keeper of the democracy or oligarchy, not a keeper of tyranny, but a keeper of the republic. When? Listen, when you do that, when you do that, you are changing the future of this nation. When you do that, you are a keeper of the republic. You're no longer making um, just uh, Facebook posts, nothing else. I use social media all the time, but, but it, it, in many respects, it, it has to be part of an overall strategy. You're no longer just spitting into a fan. That's when you're exercising self-governance, and that's what we have to do, folks. If we don't do it, we have only ourselves to blame. CenterForSelfGovernance.com. Go to your state. Click it in. I'm telling you, it's the secret sauce. Folks, thank you for joining us. Go to TheNinjaPastor.com. Every single podcast and blog, talk radio, post, every single show is on there. It's free of charge. We've got them all there for you for free. Go to the Ninja Pastor blog, drive down, go to Listen, Podcast, or Radio Show. They're all there. Thank you for joining us. Join us on Sunday. This is for real. Thank you, folks in chat. You've been awesome. Thank you so much. And thank you to our guest, Dr. Stephen Turley. God bless America. Join us next time for The Collision of Faith and Politics. And please follow this show at www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash the ninja pastor. And follow Dr. Sean on Twitter at The Ninja Pastor and on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash God in Country Radio and at www.drseangreener.com. In the meantime, Dr. Sean will be fighting for you and for this great country. Thank you for joining in this fight.